We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Obviously, we're very excited to uh, get Anquan on board and uh, see what he brings from a leadership standpoint. And uh, obviously his production speaks for itself. Sean and I preach family, culture, character. We're not gonna try and talk him into something that he doesn't feel is a good family fit. I think it was our job to help him with all the facts of what we could do and fitting his family into, into Buffalo. Well, the great thing about Anquan is what he brings on the field and off the field. I think our receiving room is fairly young still. And I think not only is he going to help those guys show what a pro's pro and what it takes on the field, in the meeting rooms, in the training room, how to eat right. Uh, those are all the things when I called around and asked about Anquan, who he was before we even pursued him. Welcome to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I'm your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. To my right, my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was Brandon Bean from his press conference at buffalobills.com announcing the signing of Anquan Bolden. Kind of talking about some of the reasons that he's here. I mean, it, that's a big development at this stage of an NFL training camp. The reason I'm here, cheers. Weekly <laughs> weekly episodes again. Yay! We're back. Folks, we are now going back to a weekly format. I know it's been a long summer, you know, with a whole lot of softball and hockey and just extracurriculars. I, 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 honestly, I've just been laying around. Chris, pay, Chris plays hockey five nights a week. Yeah, I play in three leagues. <laughs> and none of them are good. Oh! They're all silver. I play in the silver. Top division. You play catcher for softball. <laughs> that is neither here nor there. The fact remains, folks, we are back on a weekly basis. I'm sure our longtime listeners are happy to hear it. Now, for those of you who follow us on Twitter and are aware of the, you know, what's going on and what we've done, I had a special moment that I really want to talk to you, talk with you guys about and share with you. If you had asked me two years ago when we started doing this podcast, Chris and I. You saw yourself doing this a handful of times. I, I mean, if if you if I if you would ask me if I saw myself at any point in time 
Sitting in the Buffalo Bills press box with all of my equipment laid out in front of me, making small talk with Chris Brown, or standing on the sidelines of New Era Field taking performance notes, and standing in the tunnelside end zone, microphone in hand, talking to Kyle Williams, I would have told you that you were a degree of intoxicated that would kill most men. And yet there I was Friday night at the, at the red and blue scrimmage or practice, whatever you want to call it, with my recorder, not just participating in, but flat out leading an interview with Jarrell Worthy and Kyle Williams, while media members from around Western New York stood around me with microphones in hand trying to get in on the action. I will give you props on the way you had set everything up to me, is that it didn't take long for you to figure out that being on the sidelines in that type of setting, how much of a quote-unquote, go-getter personality that you have to have to track down players. Let me get a minute, two minutes of your time and to attract I mean, let me level with you guys. What happens after that practice is that when practice breaks, there is no formal interview period. The players kind of mill around. The ones who want to stick around, stick around and sign autographs. The ones who want to go get treatment, get off the field. They're under no obligation to stick around. There's no special arrangements for media. So if you want to talk to a guy, it's on you to go get him. And I looked at it as I may never have the opportunity to walk around on this field and get a microphone in front of this guy and ask him a handful of questions. So I, I did what I do. I got on my horse and I rode out there and I wrangled in some of some really great interviews. I, first and foremost, I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to Eric Turner and the rest of the guys over at Grandstand Sports Network. The relationship that I've developed with those guys over the years and all the hard work that we as a group have put in to develop what Grandstand Sports Network is, really, that was the catalyst to making this dream of mine a reality. And they're paying off in a big way. And for anyone who missed any of the updates, photos, the interview, or any of the interviews, go check them out either on our Twitter or at GrandstandSportsNetwork.com. At Rockpile Report on Twitter. I... If you want to, I mean, my full observations and post-practice write-up are there, all of all of this stuff. But really, I just want to say thank you to those guys because they're really what gave me this opportunity. And I'd like to think I took it and ran with it. Now, as most of you might have heard in the Sounders that we put out on Twitter, I got to interview both Gerald Hodges and Reggie Raglan, two players that I am incredibly high on. To say it was a rewarding experience would be an understatement, a gross understatement, especially the Reggie Raglan interview. I mean, I, I watched the guy play college football for years, and I, I love the team, obviously, <laughs> Alabama. So I, I, just to be able to talk to him on that level felt amazing. I mean, the guys from Rock Sports Network were there, and they were joking around with me after the interview that they thought I'd end up like Ron Burgundy, having to blame the pattern on my pants or an optical illusion uh, for making everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Now, my hope is that in the coming weeks, Reggie Ragland, as a player, gets back to 100%. He said in our interview, and you guys heard it online, that he's not up to where he wants to be. And I think that we're seeing that from his fall down the depth chart. However, the best interviews I got on the night were those of the defensive linemen. Now, here are some highlights from my interview with Buffalo Bills defensive tackle Jarrell Worthy. Now, first, I asked him, how was his first time as a pro in a true 4-3. Like, how is it going? What, you know, and what he thought about it. I, I got a phenomenal group of guys that I get the chance to go go to work with every day. And 
Um, I get to learn from some pro bowlers up front and, um, you know, up my game and, and, and enhance my abilities out there on the field. And um, I haven't been back in this game since college. And, you know, this is the reason why uh, I was able to get drafted so high and come to the NFL. So I'm, I'm ecstatic for this defense. I'm ecstatic for where we can go. I'm ecstatic for um, our future. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, we just got to continue to keep putting the pieces together and let Kyle say just enjoy the process. And the more reps we get, the better off we'll be. I mean, you hear it. I mean, Worthy is one of those free agent signings that I think has really flown under the radar for most Bills fans. He was drafted by a team that played a system he wasn't ex exactly a fit for. I mean, you look at the 3-4 that Green Bay runs. When they drafted him, I kind of questioned the pick. But I liked the player coming out of Michigan State. He was a second-round pick, so obviously he had talent. He went from there to the Patriots, who really didn't have... I mean, their defense is kind of a hybrid scheme. They couldn't find a fit for him. This is the scheme that he played in college, and he's right when he says that it made him successful. He was able to flash in that scheme to the point that he was a second-round draft pick. So he, he's clearly happy, and I mean, you could see it on his face how happy he was to get back into this scheme. Now, this, these were his thoughts on Mike Waffle, the Bill's new defensive line coach. Man, it's phenomenal just because, uh, you know, you get to you, you see what you see on hard knocks, but, you know, behind the scenes when we're in the classroom, he's really, uh, he's really an intelligent person, um, gives, gives us a chance to, to be ourselves and play within our scheme. Um, he, he works towards our strengths instead of, you know, trying to correct, you know, what's going wrong. He, he tells us to constantly get better at what we're good at. Um, and just keep attacking, man. He never want to take a guy out of, you know, what they're good at, and he just allows you to hunt, man, and that's what's phenomenal about this defense. And, um, the more chances we get to hunt and have fun and, you know, and get the, get the ball out fast, it, it's definitely great for us. Absolutely, man. I mean, he just demands, um, you know, demands excellence. You know, he tells us that we can be one of the best in the game, and um, we firmly believe it. And up front, we just try to work like that every day. And, and, and at the end of the day, um, you know, the track, record, the track record is proven. You know, if we've got a good four, four guys up front, five, six, seven guys who can rush the passer, man, you can take a team deep in the playoffs. He is not wrong about that. And, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that they're taking to Mike Waffle's teachings. I mean, you think about who Mike Waffle is as a defensive line coach. He quarterbacked the defensive line that in 2008, the defensive line won that Super Bowl for the New York Giants against the undefeated New England Patriots. You turn around and look what he did over in L.A. with the Rams. I mean, mind you, he did have an elite talent in Aaron Donald and Robert Quinn and just a number of good pass rushers, but he coached them to a point where they, they were ferocious. They were relentless. He coached that out of them. And it seems like it seems like he can get through to players. Everyone talks about Adam Gase being the uh, quarterback whisperer. Well, if, if that's the case, then Mike Waffle is definitely the defensive line whisperer. And you can hear the way he talks about it. This is a young player talking about a coach that's known to be a hard-nosed kind of guy. No bullshit. He'll cuss at you. He'll get in your face. They're taking to it, and that's a, a huge step in the right direction for this Bills defense. And then in probably my favorite moment of the entire night, I got the chance to interview Buffalo Bills fan favorite, defensive tackle Kyle Williams. This is what he had to say about the defense finally returning back to a 4-3 scheme. Um, I like the aggressiveness of it. I like the ability to use um, speed and strength and athleticism. Um, and, you know, just more than anything, I already said it, is just being aggressive, you know, trying to dictate the offenses, go out and, and make them adjust to you and not us to them. 
I mean, he's he's had his most productive seasons when he gets to play behind that kind of a defense. I mean, clearly he knows it, and he wants to get back to that type of football. So I, I it sounds it, just the confidence that he talks about being in this scheme. I think it, it's going to bode well for the 2017 defensive line. And obviously, I had to ask him about you know. First, I asked one of the young guys about Mike Waffle. I wanted to get the flip side of the coin. Someone who's a veteran, someone who probably doesn't respond well to someone cussing and yelling at him and getting in their face. This is what Kyle Williams had to say when asked about what working under a guy like Mike Waffle was like. I love it because he wants the best out of you. And if you can't handle somebody that wants the absolute best out of you, you're probably in the wrong business. So I enjoy that. I enjoy being challenged. I enjoy uh, being challenged to be better. Uh, no matter how good anybody's been, you know, they can always refine something. They can always work on something. So I enjoy that part of the game. I mean, that's, that's a ringing endorsement from, again, now you've got a young guy, you've got an old guy. They're both agreeing that Mike Waffle seems to be the type of guy that this defense needs. You, know, you need a guy like that, coaching up the biggest, most violent men on your side of the football. And then, <laughs> and then Kyle Williams hit this gem as we were closing the interview when Ryan Lasel of the Rock Sports Network asked him about Marcel Darius's work wife comments. If anybody's the wife, he's the wife. That's all I have to say. Because <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Williams is a class act, and it was, it was a true honor to get the chance to speak with him. I think one of the things I took away from Friday night was that if you're going to be in this business, if you're going to do this type of stuff, you can't be shy. you got to go get what's yours. I mean, it was an incredible feeling to be standing in front of Kyle Williams and have a guy trying to hang a TV camera over my shoulder and try to sneak a microphone in and know that he couldn't. I ran that interview. He couldn't get a word in edgewise. I think three of us asked questions over the course of the entire thing. I'm going to put the thing in its entirety up on our Twitter feed. Another little audiogram for you guys. You want to go check it out? It'll be at Rockpile Report on Twitter. But he's just a phenomenal, I mean, he's just a phenomenal interview. He's a great guy, and I'm truly blessed with the opportunity to get to go talk to those guys. Now, I was, I was excited that you were able to be on the field with the media pass. I had certain people in some of my friends, but, well, Drew's going to be on the Why aren't you going to be on the field? What question can I ask that's of relevance to a Bills player? After a training camp practice, the only the only legitimate question I could ask is, how was practice? How was practice? I, I don't know what I'm looking at. That's why you're on the sideline. You know the game of football. You know how to identify who's having a good practice and who isn't. And it clearly showed in your interviews that you knew what questions to ask people to get legitimate answers. Chris, I appreciate you saying that. And guys, for those of you listening, there's more to come because I've been granted, I, maybe because I did so well Friday night, I've been granted access for this coming Monday. This coming Monday, the second practice after our very first preseason game, I'm going to be back on the sidelines at St. John Fisher. I'm going to have a lot more content, a lot more interviews. It's going to be a lot of fun. So you're definitely going to want to check back next week to see you know what, what we have in store for the podcast. Now, between those two interviews, one of the similarities I noticed in, you know, in talking to him, I asked him both about the waffle question, and I asked him some questions over the course of each interview. Both of these defensive linemen love the fact that we are going back from a defense that uh, more or less makes the defensive linemen placeholders to let the linebackers make plays around them, calls on the defensive line to be the catalyst for the playmakers. You know, they ask you in, in and of yourself to be a playmaker. It's aggressive. It's attacking. 
I mean, when you look at when our defense was the best, when we had uh, Schwartz, Jim Schwartz, our defensive coordinator, when we had Mike Pettin as our defensive coordinator, those two years, our defense was great, but it was great because the schemes that were in place, were uh, they used the defensive line to attack the offensive line and let the rest of the players make plays for off of that. That's what really keyed the defense in those stellar seasons that we had. And we had such great defensive line play that they were able to, to generate in a one-on-one situation. Yep. That's why Jerry Hughes was so good. No, absolutely. And so I'm excited to hear that veteran players, young players, everyone sounds like they want they, they feel the same thing, they're happy about the same things, and they're really looking forward to the direction of this new scheme. All right, folks, I've, I've done enough patting myself on the back for one night. Let's do what we do every week and jump right into this week's Bill's News Update. Chris, I don't, what, what, did anything remarkable happen this week? I mean, we got a guy <laughs> that's right, that a- catches the football. <laughs> Aquan Bolden, folks, signs with the Buffalo Bills. Now, two weeks ago on our last show, I told Bills fans that they should sort of scale back and temper their expectations for the signing of Anquan Bolden. Players in his shoes, uh, I said they were ultimately looking to sign with contenders. You know, they, every, every older player wants to end his career on top. And, or, with it, or that he'd end up with a team that was willing to grossly overpay him for his services. So today, I should probably get out some hot sauce for all the crow that I'm going to be eating. the crow drop. As you heard in our intro, Anquan Bolden has officially signed a one-year deal with the Buffalo Bills. And while I said previously, you know, what I said previously about Bolden not exactly being a world beater at the wide receiver position still rings true. I'm very much excited that he's a part of our roster going forward. Uh, that's cool that he's here. For me, I, I don't care. I don't honestly, I don't care that he's here because I mean, Tyrod's got to get him the ball. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm me honestly. I'm not expecting much. Well, see, this is the thing though. He's going to help us in a number of places. First and foremost, it allows us to continue bringing Zay Jones along slowly. You, well, you heard it in the intro because Bean said, "Hey, our wide receiver room is young, mm-hmm. and he's going to show the young guys how to be a pro, how to eat right, how to train." Oh, he, it gives them a role model in the locker room, someone that they can look at and say, "Look, here's a guy who he's not the fastest, he's not the biggest." And yet he's put together a hell of a career for himself. How and he, did he and do he's it? got a Super Bowl ring. And I don't he th- has a ring. I don't think we have we've had a Super Bowl uh, ring on the roster ever. Percy Harvin. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> hey, he returned, uh. a, he returned a kickoff for a touchdown. Don't at me. All right. So you look at you know he he becomes that role model in the locker room. Someone that get young guys, even Sammy, Sammy and Zay can learn the nuances of the game of football from. I think the biggest on the field impact that we're going to see from Bolden isn't so much with his pass catching ability. It's with his run blocking. When Robert Woods signed that absolutely ridiculous contract with the Los Angeles Rams, the Bills lost the best run blocking, excuse me, blocking wide receiver they've had in close to a decade. I mean, he was an impact player for us when it came to that department. Bolden isn't the most explosive offensive threat, 
but he is absolutely effective in the rushing attack. I mean, you just review some of his tape from last season. He will show you that he can still decleat a uh, defensive back and sometimes even a linebacker if he doesn't have his head on a swivel. Well, he can deplete uh, Duran Lee because he's tiny. <laughs> Which we'll have, we'll have Kyle Smith on later to talk about the oh, Jets. Kyle Smith from the Jets. So I think that his usage on offense is going to be an interesting story to follow as we roll into the 2017 season. But, I, I mean, it sounds like we, we recruited him the right way. He's a guy who doesn't feel like he has to be here. He wants to be here. And because of that, I feel like we should all be happy that he's finally signed. And then, you know, moving into training camp, storylines and, you know, thing, everything going on with that. We're more than halfway through training camp. But there's already some storylines that are developing. And since you're all nuts for this team, I'm sure you've been reading the daily blow-by-blows. So instead of just trying to rehash it all, I want to talk about the ones that I think are going to make the next few weeks of preseason games worth watching. This is the one I texted you about when you were heading to practice on Friday. Absolutely. i got to start the list off with Eddie Yarbrough. Okay? Cinderella story in the making. At the onset of camp... No one out there knew who the hell Eddie Yarbrough was. If you want to tell me that you did, I'm going to call you a liar and you're going to have to prove it. He's a defensive end out of Wyoming University who was thought in 2016 to have a shot at being a top three, you know, top, top, uh, pick in the top three rounds, we'll say. But a knee injury forced him into the UDFA pool and he signed with the hometown Denver Broncos. Now he's here in Buffalo He's kicking ass and taking names, and he's rising up the depth chart in a fashion that can only be declared as meteoric. I mean, you think about a guy who's a walk-on, essentially. He signed a tiny deal. No one knows whether he's actually going to make the roster or not. No one even knows who the hell he is. Defensive end Shaq Lawson suffers a pulled groin, which that happened on Friday when I was at practice, which doesn't appear to be long-term in severity, thank God. And backup defensive end Ryan Davis suffers a concussion early on in practice. Somebody has to step in and take reps across from Jerry Hughes. It wasn't Max Valles. It was Eddie Yarbrough. And I'll tell you, he not only distinguished himself from every other depth end on the roster, I mean, no matter where you slot him in, he's still making plays. You know, he made plays on the third string. Then they bumped him up to second string. He was still getting a pass rush, ending up in the backfield, disrupting plays. So then, with all these injuries, they moved him up to the top line, and he's still making plays. He's still being talked about. Now, heading into training camp, I said the defensive end was a position that worried me due to the lack of depth. But if Yarbrough can continue to play well, it could be a huge step towards proving to doubters that this team has more talent and depth than we initially thought they did. I don't think I'm going to be watching anything tomorrow night other than Eddie Yarbrough. I've heard about him so much on camp from... Your Joe B's, your Sales, Sale Mariana, you. That's who I'm paying attention to tomorrow night against the Vikings. Oh, absolutely. One of the other storylines, on a little more of a disturbing note, right tackle, that battle is still completely and wholly unsettled. Jordan Mills has been spending a lot of time with the ones at right tackle over the last week and a half, but that may not say a whole lot about his grip on the position. I mean, to say that Jordan Mills has struggled in training camp would be like saying that people riding the Hindenburg had a rough landing. <laughs> He's been dogged at some point by every single beat reporter that I follow. And while I was there on Friday, I did notice that 
a lot of the pressure being brought by the defensive line. I mean, that's been one of the storylines of camp is that the defensive line is generating all kinds of pressure. You know, the guys at ESPN, the guys at Channel 7 News, Joe Biscaglia, they're all talking about this pressure that the defensive line looks phenomenal. A lot of it's coming from the right side of the defense offensive line because Jordan Mills can't block. He cannot, he just doesn't hold up in pass protection. Now, I, I can see... I, I can see the staff not wanting to rush Deion Dawkins into a starting role, given that he's a rookie and that the learning curve for offensive tackle in the NFL is, is pretty steep. What I do know is that last season I watched Jordan Mills get his pants pulled down and he was spanked raw in front of 80,000 people twice, twice last season against Miami with Cam Wake, who is an aging pass rusher. So, you know, and now hearing that he's struggling to pick up the new blocking scheme, I, I think we should all be keeping our fingers crossed that Dawkins closes the gap on the starting spot before week one. Well, my question would be, with a new offensive scheme, new offensive line coach, you're having trouble at right tackle. I'm going to presume you're going to have tight ends chip, help out. Who's going to take on that role as sort of a blocking tight end? Well, we're, Honestly, throughout training camp, I mean, the, the talk has been that Nick O'Leary, baby hands himself, is actually improved as a blocker and that he might actually... How are you going to block people with them nubs? <laughs> <laughs> and that they've said that baby hands O'Leary is actually the most complete tight end on the roster. Saying his pass, he's not going to wow you with his pass catching, but he's a solid enough run blocker that you can trust him as your tight end too comfortably at this point. Which is good because that's what he was. I mean, he he won the award for being the best tight end in college football when he played for Florida State. So he has the potential to be that guy. He's just had to go out and do it. And to this, I mean, last season was rough for him. It was. It had ups. It had downs. This season, it sounds like he's done all the all the right things coming into training camp, and he's answering a lot of questions people had on him coming into training camp. So. I think, honestly, what you're going to see is a lot of usage for O'Leary. The problem is, do you put him on the offensive line specifically to help out a struggling Jordan Mills? That's going to take, that's, that's another man, that's another wide receiver that you're losing. Or Chuck Clay. Then you're lo- well, you could run a two tight end set, but ultimately the team knows that, okay, that guy's going to the right side. This guy, Whatever side you're putting him on, they know that that tight end isn't going out for a pass. He's staying in to help block which makes the defense's job easier. Ultimately, we need somebody to step up and win this right tackle bat. And then Tyrod Taylor has looked, I mean, after an up-and-down start to camp, Tyrod Taylor has looked sharp. I saw it with my own two eyes. The defensive line was harassing him all throughout practice with would-be sacks and a lot of pressures, and yet he seems like he's really finding a comfort in this new offense. He's decisive. He doesn't hang on to the ball. He's letting it rip. He's learning when to roll out. And when did you stand in the pocket and deliver a throw? Now, I know that doesn't say much, and there's a lot of people out there probably scoffing at the radio, thinking, you know, okay, this isn't the bullets aren't flying. I will give you that. It's easy to stand in the pocket and make confident throws when you know nobody's going to blast you in the ribcage. But it's a far cry from where he's been in previous camps, which leads me to believe that hopefully this will translate onto the football field when games actually matter and the bullets are really flying. But I guess we're going to have to wait to find out. And now, folks, as most of our listeners know, throughout the course of the season, we always provide people with the AFC 
East Roundup. And you know, we always are interested in what else is going on, not just with our own team, but around the division. And here to talk to us tonight, we have a special guest who covers the New York Jets. Kyle Smith. Quarterback is a position of concern for the Jets. Lots of Jets fans, they love him. They really hype him up. AFC East Bros Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Kyle Smith. Our most celebrated guest. Kyle, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, gentlemen. Just enjoying the summer. It's always nice having summers off as a teacher. So just sitting back, chilling, taking in all the news, reading books, nice. going on vacation this beginning this weekend. So I've been enjoying myself. How are you guys doing? We're doing all right. I mean, not not too bad. I'm a, I'm a little uh, under the weather here today. And you but, have food on your face. <laughs> I have food on my face. Hilarious. So I'm doing good. Chris, Chris is doing good, but you know what? You know who's not doing good? It sounds like the New York Jets. <laughs> it sounds, <laughs> sounds like things are a little bit choppy over there. Now, we're going to get into that in a second, but first and foremost, I have to ask. So I've heard that the AFC Spros podcast, you guys have stopped recording. Is this a temporary hiatus, or is it the end of an era here with the AFC Spros podcast with you and Gary? But, you know, we've always had this uh, special affection for one another, both of our shows, cross-promoting and stuff. And I actually haven't announced this publicly yet. And I think that Gary and I, before the season starts, will do one final episode. But this seems to be in the end of an era. And it's not because we didn't have success. Um, we had tons of people listening. It's not because we didn't have fun. We had tons of that. But it's just – it's kind of more, mostly my decision. Really? Because I, – I mean, Drew, you've said it numerous times on the Rock Power Report how – this, what you do covering one team, that is the Buffalo Bills, is a part-time job for you. Imagine doing four teams. It's a completely different animal. I can't so, even imagine that. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I already have a time-consuming job anyway. I bring work home for me with my teaching job. Mm-hmm. So to always be watching this film and always be listening to this podcast and always be you know, reading this article and, and this and this and this for four different teams, it was quite a lot. So, you know, I'm going to focus more of my efforts on the terrible team that I root for, the New York Jets, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I'm totally not stepping away from the podcasting thing. I love coming on and talking with you guys. But, um, you know, for any of those of your listeners that used to listen to our show, extremely grateful for every single one of you. Um, really appreciate it. And just like, you know, I really appreciate you guys. And you guys are what kept me going for as long as I did. So I, I just want to thank you for that. Well, you know what? Thank you. Because honestly, when we started podcasting, you kind of, I don't want to say taught us the ropes, but you kind of did. We learned a lot of what we needed to learn to get off the ground from you, from our interactions with you, talking to you about things. And I'll level with you. I have nothing to listen to. I don't listen to my own podcast. I don't. I record this, and then I go to work, and I, I, don't, I don't think about it again once I get it out. I, I listen but to I it. I loved your show. I listen to it, and then I tell, hey, Drew, we should probably do this, this, and this, or you should change and do do this instead of this, which is basically stop breathing into the microphone, and he hasn't learned. <laughs> so, Kyle, thank you for everything you've done, and you know I, we appreciate, and I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with your show, they appreciate all the hard work you guys have put in over the years producing that show that you had. Now, you, it sounds like, you, I'm assuming your life is probably a little bit less hectic 
without the podcasting, correct? I mean, like you said, you have a busy job. You know, what's the summer been like not having to constantly be tracking down the moves of four different football teams? Yeah, it's a lot more, I mean, like, it, it's just a lot more easygoing, I guess, so to speak. You know, like before, felt like I was, and, and obviously it was something I loved mm-hmm. doing, you know, football and covering it. I, I, I truly love that. But, you know, when you're constantly on your phone and stuff and, you know, you're, you're giving preference to your phone, you know, you kind of like, I kind of lost touch with certain people. Like, for example, um... Last year, I don't know if I would have done this. One of my good childhood buddies, um, his name is James Casada. He was in a really bad car accident a couple years ago. He's now paralyzed from the neck down. Oh wow! And I hadn't, vid- I haven't visited him for a couple years. And actually, last night I went over, I visited him, and you know, he watched me and his younger player, younger brother, play some old N64 video games. <laughs> the thing is, is like, and why do I bring this up? Is you know, I felt like, you know. Not having the podcast, and honestly, like, I love doing the podcast. I, I can't say that enough. But I felt like I always had to be working. And now mm-hmm. that I don't have that, I can now focus on you know reconnecting with family a little bit more and reconnecting with old friends and people that meant a lot in my life. So it's, it, it's more easygoing, and it's certainly more easier on the mind, if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes a ton of sense, man. I tell you, it's, it's not easy doing this stuff. It really isn't. I mean, not if you want to do it at a high level. And... You and your brother put out some of the best content that I've heard in years. So thank you. For, you know, I'm glad that you're, you're happy after stepping away and that you know, you're enjoying your time. Now, folks, everyone here who listens to the show knows that Kyle Smith is a fan of the New York Jets. But I'll tell you one person who isn't a fan. His name, or at least in this season, his name is Colin Cowherd. And finally, the New York Jets. I'm sorry, but I have him at 0-16. The quarterback situation is bad as any I remember. I have their over-under at four, and that's how touchdown scored this season. I don't like their owner. Quarterback's atrocious. Best receiver just got hurt. Their offensive line's shaky. The only really talent I can count on is on the defensive front. But what will it matter? They'll be on the field the entire game. Here's their schedule. Tell me where I'm wrong. I have the New York Jets at 0-16, and therefore the number one pick in the NFL draft as Cleveland and San Francisco rebuild. But I think with offensive minds, can win some actual games. The New York Jets at 0-16. Colin Cowherd today on the Herd, Fox Sports Radio, FS1 on television, <laughs> predicting the Jets 0-16. <laughs> that, Figures producer Chris Kruger would already already have that bit up for this show. I got that. I got that an hour ago. I heard it today at work. I was like, and I text her. It's like I think we got to get this for the show and play for Kyle. I, now, Kyle, I, I just knee jerk reaction. What's the first thing that goes through your head when you hear that? Jets zero sixteen. A lot of what he's saying is right, and I'll tell I'll tell you right now, Drew. I will take it. Sign me up for it right now. I'm telling you. We play you guys week one. I want you guys to win. You know, and con- contrast that to last year. We played you guys week two. You guys ended our playoff hopes the year before. I wanted to kick your ass. But you know what? This year, I want you guys to do that to us. Because quite honestly, I don't care about winning any games. I don't care about winning seven games so I can go brag to my friend who's a, a Carolina Panthers fan and they only won five games. Hey, we have more wins than you. What does that do for me? 
What has that done for me? <laughs> well, I want a quarterback that so, can take us to the postseason every freaking year. And supposedly, this is the year to get one. So I'll take going 16. Go ahead. See, see now, you know, this I, is I one care. of the most interesting dynamics of this offseason that I've really wanted to pick your brain about. First and foremost, you look at tanking. You, you, you look at what the idea of a, a football team purposely putting out a product that they know isn't talented enough to compete on most game days, and, or any sports team for that matter. I mean, we here as Buffalo Sabres fans, we lived that, where the Buffalo Sabres legitimately and on purpose, I mean, they traded away three different goalies over the course of a season because the goalies were playing too well. They purposely went out and tried to get to the bottom in hopes of getting a generational player so that they could be better in the future. Now, I'll tell you, that takes a toll on a lot of things. Your coaching staff, your fans. I mean, first and foremost, on a coaching staff. You look at what happened to the Jets the last time they rolled out a garbage roster with cornerbacks that they knew weren't talented enough to really perform in the NFL. That was when the Buffalo Bills twice hung almost 40-point games on you guys. And at the end of the year, their head coach was fired. An owner went into a season, and this is the same owner, who allowed his head coach to go into a season with a subpar roster and then be fired after the fact. Now, I, I mean, first and foremost, what do you think about that dynamic of this? How could an 0-16 season, or let's say a season where you guys see fewer than four wins, is Todd Bowles safe as a head coach? Well, Woody Johnson has said there's no ultimatum. There's no win total that, you know, he needs to get in order to survive this season. And I think I do believe Woody Johnson when he does say say that. I think he knows for once, for once he's learned that you shouldn't just reload this year. You need to do the full-on rebuild. And I think Woody is supporting that. Um, So could Bulls theoretically win three or four games and stick around? I would say it's possible, but it depends how they play in those games. Were they fighting tooth and nail with the Patriots to the last minute, or were they getting blown out by 40 points like they did so many times late last season? Mm -hmm. I mean, if that's the case, he's as good as gone. But if they're competitive, they they beat a couple teams with um, winning records or something like that, he could theoretically survive even with – a terrible win-loss record. To answer your question on, you know, what does it do to the fan base and what does it do to the coaching staff? I don't care what it does to the fan base. I'm committed to this stupid team, for better or for worse, probably for worse, regardless of how bad they are. And for the stupid, idiotic fans out there that say, hey, listen, I'll take eight wins and the 17th overall pick versus one win and the first overall pick, you're stupid. So I, I mean I don't care what it does to them. I don't care if the if the stadium is selling tickets and the owner's getting more money. That does nothing for me. In terms of the coaching staff, I could care less if Todd Bowles is fired. I could care less if Casey Rogers is fired. I don't care. I, these guys haven't shown me enough that they are a good quality coaching staff. So listen, we can get some fresh young blood in here, and hopefully we do get that young quarterback. I don't. Yes, of course. You know. And I think even the bigger thing is what uh, what it does to your your players because, you know, our buddy and your buddy Travis Wingfield, he said, hey, listen, if the Jets want to tank, think about what it's going to do for like contract negotiations with like someone like Leonard Williams. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that's somewhat of a concern because he's a very good player and you don't want to let him go. But at the end of the day, the way I look at that is because. We still got Leonard Williams under control for at least three years if you include his fifth-year rookie option. And then we can franchise him after that. And one thing that we know about the NFL is you can turn things around quickly. 
Mm-hmm. You can turn things around quickly. So if the Jets do get a good quarterback and they do have a good draft class next year, they can be competitive. And then Leonard Williams says, you know what? You know, I think I might want to stay here long term. Yeah. So that's you know what? The, the, that. Well, that's, that's, what, that's what we've been dealing with. You said uh, in your rant there for a little bit over the better quarters of 17 years. That's what we've experienced as Bills fans. How many seasons over the drought were we six and ten, eight and eight, and we're drafting twelve to nineteen? And well, but but the problem we is, never tank. And the thing was, it was it's bigger than that when you think about. To your point, contract negotiations. Players have a shelf life. Every player has a shelf life, and they know it. You know these young athletes watch their predecessors come in and out of the league. Some of them have long, fantastic careers, like Vince Wilfork. Some of them have careers that last two or three seasons. They know that when you commit to a tank like that, you are burning a year off of everyone's contract. That's a, that's a year of my shelf life that's being wasted if I'm an NFL player looking at an organization that's purposely trying to be bad. So you're right. It could have a negative impact on contract negotiations and on free agent negotiations. It really could. But again, if you, if you do it and you can turn it around quickly, that should mitigate some of the damage. Now, as far as what you're going to be able to accomplish in 2017, I mean, let's talk about your roster a little bit. Let's, I've got some questions. First and foremost, the quarterback depth chart. Okay, By all accounts, it's a mess. I mean, it, let's, start, let's, let's just run it down by the numbers here and let's see what we're dealing with. First and foremost, Josh McCown, who is, by all accounts, a known commodity. The guy is 6-23 and 23 in 29 games as a starter. That is his NFL record as a starting quarterback. I mean, what can you say about Josh McCown's career that hasn't already been said about the Resident Evil film franchise? It was mediocre to begin with. Somehow it keeps coming back, even though you'd swear that each installment was worse than the one before it. And at the end of every movie, everyone and everything around it and involved with it is either dead, covered with shit, or on fire. I mean, that is Josh McCown. What do you think about that? Wow, Resident Evil film franchise. You know, I, I love the game so much that I, when I saw that first movie, I just thought it was terrible. Never even bothered to see any of the ones after that. Um, but Josh McCown, I mean, I think you know what you're getting. You're getting a guy who, you know, if I'm going to compare him to a, a previous quarterback that we had, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think he's very good pre-snap. There's a reason why he stuck around in the league so long because he is a smart, heady quarterback when it comes to, oh, I, I know what the defense is doing pre-snap. Um I would say that he's got a stronger arm than Fitz, probably a little bit more zip on the ball, definitely throws a better deep ball. Um, you know, Fitz probably has better pocket presence than McCown. That's one. That's the reason why McCown gets hurt all the time. He just doesn't know where he's going. He, he does not have that Tom Brady type of pocket presence where it's one little click to the left to avoid the pass rush and give your – Give your receiver an extra couple seconds or an extra split second to get open. McCown doesn't have that at all. How about um, the fact I that I will you, say that? Well, I was going to say, how about the fact that the guy who very likely will be your starting quarterback week one is the same guy who last year playing for the Browns, you got to watch your team injure on a ridiculous like diving attempt <laughs> slash fumble to get into the end zone. I'm sure it was pretty funny to most Jets fans when they saw that play happen and watched McCown fumble the football. Now that guy is oh, your quarterback. Hilarious. Now that guy is your quarterback. Who's laughing now? Probably not Jets fans. I mean, I'll tell you what. As soon as we signed him, that, that gif was running rampant amongst Twitter. <laughs> Everybody was tweeting out left and right. Here's, people were saying things like, the Jets franchise summed up in one gif right here. You know, things like that. I mean, it was, 
I mean, McCown, I mean, I will say he did not – the one training camp practice I went to, he did not look impressive at all to me. Um, and, you know, I knew that he didn't have a good arm to begin with, but I really like – I thought that, you know, comparing his arm to Fitz, I thought he was going to put a you know, decent amount of more zip on the ball. He really throws some floaters, man. Oh, and God. that does not get it done in this league. That's going to get you guys in so much trouble if he turns out to be the starter. The, the person he has to beat out is another just – empty bag in Christian Hackenberg. Highly drafted project quarterback. I mean, he was a second-round pick that didn't dress for the entire season he was drafted in. I mean, not a single game. That's crazy as a second-round pick. But then you listen to some of the off-season reports about spring training where he was completing more passes to reporters on the sidelines and fans that were sitting in the front row of practice instead of his wide receivers. Yeah, he's got a good uh, chemistry going with Manish Mehta. <laughs> Although yeah, I'll tell you what, Chris, he does because Manish is back. You know, Manish has these little feuds with certain players, and he's got this certain players who he loves and supports. Two guys who he's really supporting this year, Sheldon Richardson and Christian Hackenberg. Those are his guys. You look at people he had vendettas against last year and, and this year, for that matter, Muhammad Wilkerson and Darrell Rivas. So Manish is, you know, you want to talk about uh, a guy that really knows how to either rile people up or, you know, get the fanboys on his side. He's got a thing for that. There's a reason why, you know, he's on the sports reporters and things like that. But anyway, um, yeah, Hackenberg, I mean, listen, guys, I came on this show how many times and discussed this with you guys. Terribly, terribly inaccurate. You know, the college film told you all you needed to know. He started 21 games minimum in college. That's how much draft breakdown film that there is to go off of. Completely inaccurate in every game. And we're not just talking about, oh, he's not pinpoint accurate, but he's got some general accuracy. No, he doesn't even have general accuracy. He's got the type of accuracy when on any given throw, he can sail the ball 10 yards over a uh, running back's head on a swing route. And that type of accuracy just never gets it done in the NFL. And I say this all the time. Not one person has ever given me a quality answer. And Drew, I'm going to pose the same question to you. Can you think of any quarterback ever that came out of college, was touted as being extremely inaccurate from all areas of the field, and all of a sudden he got some good coaching at the NFL level, and he became – Decently to good accurate. <laughs> no. Decently to good accurate in the NFL. No, I love one person. I can't. I mean, you look at Tom Brady fell all the way to the sixth round because the knock on him was that he didn't have the athletic body type. He didn't have the measurables that you want. But you know what he had going for him was he was a very accurate passer. And the Patriots yep. found him, and Belichick molded him into what he is today. But he had the accuracy. I mean, you look at, we had a very inaccurate quarterback. EJ. In, in Cardale, in uh, oh Rob God. Johnson, and we could, I could go to Todd Collins. I could name you a list of inaccurate quarterbacks that have started for the Buffalo Bills. Kelly Holcomb. There's a reason that we're still in the drought, because we haven't had a truly accurate quarterback for 17 years. It's, it's incredible, and I mean, hopefully Tyrod takes a step this year and towards that, because that's what, that's what it takes to get things done in the NFL. So you've got the Hackenberg Project, the uh, sh- the zombie Josh McCown, who just somehow keeps resurrecting his career. And then you've got Bryce Petty, who, I mean, I'll level with you. Bryce Petty, to me, seems like the Macaulay Culkin of your offense. You know, even though he's got more game time, you know, more real-world game-playing experience than Hackenberg and has more upside long-term than Josh McCown, Todd Bowles and his entire coaching staff looks like they forgot to bring him to the airport on their flight to France for Christmas. I mean, they, 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 it feels like they've completely forgotten this guy. I, Kyle, <laughs> oh, Kyle, I, I would ask um, 
about uh, Bryce Petty. Has he figured out? Was it in college, coming out of college? He couldn't read the mic. Yeah, he couldn't read the mic linebacker. Did he? Fi- has he figured that out yet? Uh, he's shown no signs, as far as I can see, of figuring it out. Yeah, I mean, oh shoot. Yeah, he was talking about how he tweeted out something last year, or said to a reporter something like, you know. You know, just the little things like playing Madden and you finally find out what an under defense is. It's like, really? You never knew what an under defense is and you've been in the NFL for over a year? I mean, shoot. And that's the thing with Bryce Petty is – and, you know, Glenn Naughton, Joe Blewett's co-host for Jet Nation Radio, he was actually saying that Petty looked better than Hackenberg in the past couple practices, which everybody was saying like the first couple practices, Hackenberg looked the best. And he was saying that the reason why uh, Petty looked better is, you know, Petty – He's not going to make as much um, wow type of throws as Hackenberg because he doesn't have as strong as arm. But he's also not going to have those low moments where he's making a terrible, terrible pass that's five yards behind the receiver, which is getting intercepted. You know, he's more you know, consistent in that regard. Um, Petty does not have a strong arm with any regard. But the biggest thing with him is – and go back and watch the tape. The dude just can't read any defenses. If you watch him, he drops back. He does not trust what his eyes are telling him. He's constantly acting like – it looks like he's doing a pump fake, but he's not really doing a pump fake. He's actually trying to throw the ball, but <laughs> then he sees, oh, you know what? I actually shouldn't throw it. So he pulls the ball, and he ends up holding the ball for such a long time, which leads to a tremendous amount of sacks, which he took. Um, he honestly got hurt last year because mm-hmm. he was holding on to the ball too long. Um, and you got to get the ball out quick, especially in a West Coast offense, which is what the Jets are trying to employ. You don't have time – to be that hesitant and gun-shy back there, which is exactly what he is. So you're talking about not a strong-armed quarterback, not an overly athletic guy, not a guy who's shown good uh, leadership type of qualities. And when you talk about you cannot read NFL defenses, I don't think Bryce Petty is even going to be a long-term backup in this league. Okay, so now we have the uh, – there's a running theme here between these three guys. Lack of accuracy, you know, the, 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 you see like, the inabilities to read it, you know, make quality reads against the defense – if you had to sum up your quarterback depth chart in one word, what would uh-huh. it be? Um, trash. <laughs> trash. Okay. Perfect. Now, again, you know, you're moving on down the roster. You've got quarterbacks who aren't terribly accurate, but sometimes inaccurate quarterbacks or quarterbacks who haven't been that great get bailed out by great wide receiving talent. I mean, you look at what Megatron was able to do with the or I don't let's not even talk about Megatron. Let's talk about what Roy Williams years and years and years ago was able to do for the Lions when he was up there putting up Madden kind of statistics with quarterbacks like Orlovsky, like <laughs> who was oh, he he probably had like four or five journeyman quarterbacks throwing to him over the course of his career and he still put up numbers. He kind of steadied those those kind of below average quarterbacks unfortunately it doesn't seem like you guys have any of those on your roster either i mean pro football talk this week reading about how quincy Inunua supposed to be your number one wide receiver i mean he's been a surprise for you guys he really has been he was kind of one of those hidden gems kind of a murdered the bills last year he 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 kind of came on last year he started to flash as a quality wide receiver and now he's going to miss the entire season because of neck surgery so I gotta ask the question: Who slots in for you guys at wide receivers one through three? Who are these people? Uh, our Darius Stewart, our Darius Stewart, and our Darius Stewart. <laughs> You're damn right. Roll time. <laughs> I, t- 
I'll tell you what, I mean, whoever slides in, nobody's going to fill Quincy in his role. Nobody's going to do what he did for this team. I mean, you could play that guy at H-back, and he would be a damn good. He's a damn good blocker. He's really, really good after the catch. I mean, he's got like a linebacker type of mentality out there. Really tough to tackle that dude. Like I said, really good blocker. Improved his hands. Knows how to go up and get the ball. Has good deep speed. Um, but the difference between him and like someone like Robbie Anderson, who's got good deep speed, is the size. I mean, Quincy Enuma is he's not just 225. He's a chiseled 225. I mean, he's, he packs every little pound mm -hmm. of, of muscle into how he plays. Robbie Anderson, I mean, we, we keep calling him rail thin. I mean, he's listed as 190, 6'3", 190. Oh, wow. You know, that's being really generous. He's probably closer to 175, 180 as my, a wide receiver. My guess now, is Robbie he probably is struggles. Quick. I was going to say, my, my guess is he probably struggles trying to get off jams and things like that at the line of scrimmage. I mean, with that kind of size. Yes, he does. Yes, yes, he does at times. But when he does defeat it, he's going to blow right by somebody. He mm -hmm. did it. Uh, three examples last year of, of corners I would say are pretty good pressing. Richard Sherman, you know, really good press corner. Mm -hmm. uh, Eric Rowe, that's how he wins too. He's not super athletic, mm -hmm. but he's a good he's a good jammer. Um, and then you got um, Tremaine Johnson, cornerback for the Rams, who yeah. obviously is two years in a row. He's been franchise tagged. Robbie Anderson beat them on nine routes, uh, each one of them last year. And if he had good quarterback play, who didn't underthrow him the ball, who put it on the money, he would have gone possibly to the house for a touchdown. So yes, at times because he's so small, he has trouble defeating that. Like if you can lay a good shot on him, he's not going to really get off the line of scrimmage very well. But if you play off on him, or if he's somehow able to evade the corner off the line of scrimmage, you know I like to think that this guy's got Kenny Stills type of ability. So it sounds to me like you have. Well, I was going to say, it sounds to me like you have him already penciled in, in your mind, as the number one de facto wide receiver on the team. Without a shadow of a doubt. And he showed it. You saw it. I mean, he was an undrafted free agent in training camp last year. And you could just see in training camp that he was, like, on a different level than some of these other guys. Um, he's, a, he's a hands catcher. He extends his arms well. He goes up and he gets the ball. I mean, his biggest thing working against him is he's so damn small, but he doesn't totally play that way. When the ball's in the air, he'll go up and get it. And it was mind-boggling to me that he wasn't playing. I mean, he killed it in the preseason. I think he led all, everybody in terms of receiving statistics in the preseason. Every single game, that dude brought it. Um, but early on in the season last year, they were playing scrubs like Jalen Marshall over him, who's another yeah. undrafted free agent. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure that out. In fact, I was criticizing the Jets. I was saying, why the hell do they have bum-ass Jalen Marshall in there while Robbie Anderson's sitting to bench? And then this guy named Marshall with Ohio State gear with, um, you know, he pops up in my Twitter mentions. I think it was Jalen Marshall's father saying, oh, I think the coaching staff knows more than you do. I think <laughs> not. I don't think they did in that instance. And I, and I think that Robbie Anderson proved him otherwise as the season went on. But Robbie Anderson... He's going to be a good player, but he's definitely not a true number one. Um, he's a limited player. He's good for you know taking the top off the defense. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that he'll ever be really good at doing some of the other things that a, good, a really good wide receiver does. So now I'm looking at your depth chart right now on ESPN. And what I see at wide receiver is without Quincy Inunua, you've got Jordan Leggett. He's an interesting pass-catching tight end. He's like a wide receiver tight end hybrid you know, coming out of Clemson. He, he put up big production at Clemson. Then you've got uh, you've obviously got Anderson. You've got Sharoni Peak, Jalen Marshall, or Darius Stewart, Roll time! and this Hanson kid that you guys drafted. So now, I guess my question is: with that group of wide receivers and the quarterbacking situation that we just talked about, 
I mean, what do you think they're capable of coming into this season? I mean, where would <laughs> they're going to have a Kansas City season where a wide receiver has no touchdowns? <laughs> I mean, what what is it, I, what kind of production are Jets fans expecting to get from the passing game this year? It's going to be very, very bad because you know you think about it. I was just I was just hyping up Anderson, but. I put a caveat to it. He only does certain things for you. And then you look at those other guys. Your boy, Ardarius Stewart, roll tide, baby. Dude, I, you got to like some things about Ardarius Stewart's games. Love him in the run blocking game. He's a monster run blocking. Mm-hmm. You know, after the catch, you love the grit that he plays with. You love his ability to, you know, take on somebody head first and mm-hmm. gain a couple extra yards after contact. You love that, but you got to be honest with yourself. I got to be honest with myself. He ran only a couple routes in college. They, most of his receptions and stuff came out of bubble screens, you know, uh, yep. end arounds, shovel passes. I mean, how much of a true route tree did this guy really run? Well, Alabama doesn't throw the ball much. Their their bread and butter is the running game. So, yeah, no, you're you're you are right on the money with that one. But 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 but, but contrast him to somebody like Amari Cooper or Julio Jones, for example. Amari yeah. Cooper did many things for you guys. Yes, you guys didn't throw the ball a lot, but you could ask him to run any single route out there, and he could do it. Mm-hmm. And I know that nobody was nobody's hyping up or comparing Ardarius Stewart to Amari Cooper. But I'm just saying, like this guy. You know, the, the routes that a lot of the routes that you guys did run, he was never asked to run them. It's not like, you know, this one douche on Twitter who was, you know, calling me a hater because I said, don't expect too much from um, from our Darius Stewart. He said he's a great route runner. What tape do you have to go <laughs> off to say that he's a great I, route runner? I'm an runner? Alabama fan, and the thing I like about him is was his tenacity, his abilities after the catch, just to be creative in the open field, and his run blocking ability. I would never tout his run, his his route tree. Never. I, you, you'd be high at that point. I would accuse you of drinking something. It, oh, you you you'd need to be hammered to make that claim. So you're not expecting big things from the passing game, and unfortunately, that's how most points in the NFL get scored. So, I mean, it, I, I'm sure you don't absolutely agree with what Colin Cowherd's saying 100, percent but it sounds like you and he have some similar outlooks on the Jets' season. Now, as we kind of round this whole conversation out, roster strengths and weaknesses. Every year, teams come into the NFL offseason knowing full well. You know, you can't fix, especially when you've got a leaky boat, you can't fix every hole with seven draft picks, or you need a ton of cap room, kind of like what the Patriots had this year. When you come into a season with $63 million in cap space and a bunch of draft picks, you can plug a number of holes. But without that, you kind of have to play the hand you're dealt and see where it gets you that season. So looking at your roster this year, what do you, I mean, you guys have hemorrhaged so many veteran players. You've, I think you guys shed almost $60 million in salary just from cutting veteran players and guys who had been there for a while. When you look at your roster as a Jets fan, what do you think two areas that you could say have strength outside of your defensive line? Because everybody knows about that. Two places besides your defensive line that have strength or depth. Do you have two of them, Gee. one of them? What, what do you think is a bright spot on the roster outside of your defensive line? Jeez, Drew, you talk about backing me into a corner on this one. <laughs> I, I would say I would say the only one that we really have like significant is an area, a significant area of strength and depth would be three to five tech defensive linemen. When you talk about Leonard Williams, Sheldon Richardson, Muhammad Wilkerson – 
you know, those guys, they can slide between the three, four, and five. And, you know, you can even put some of those guys at like a one technique and they'll do a lot of damage. They're very versatile guys that you, you love to slide up and down the line of scrimmage. That's the only area I would say that we're particularly deep. If I had to say maybe another area where I'm confident in and I, I really like I, – I would say I guess safety, but I'm not the hugest Marcus May fan. I mean I love the Jamal Adams pick. I, I, as you guys know, I would have taken other people there. Mm-hmm. But I think Adams is going to be a damn good player and he's shown that thus far. So I think he's going to step in from day one. And don't, I wouldn't be shocked if he made the Pro Bowl this year. I really wouldn't. Um, and May, by all accounts – He's been very good this preseason. You know, the green and white scrimmage, mm-hmm. he had a pick six. Uh, the practice I went to, which was not that practice, he almost had a 96-yard a, a pick six to the house. You know, he's been better in coverage than what I saw on film. And, you know, being the 39th overall pick, you better be a damn good well, prospect. exactly. So, if you're going to be drafted he, that high, you better be able to produce. But it sounds like you know, it sounds like he's. you guys have this safety tandem. I mean, when you guys drafted Kelvin Pryor, I thought, that was a, I thought it was a terrible pick. Because he was an in-the-box thumper, and you guys were looking for someone who could cover in the passing game. And so now it seems like you've been able to go out and kind of match. Here's two safeties that are going to be our tandem for the future. You put them out there, I, I, I have to think that that's going to do some good things for your secondary, right? I, I, would, I would think so. Um, and hopefully May shuts me up and proves me wrong. But, uh, and then on the flip we'll side. We'll see what happens once the – go ahead, Drew. Oh, no, I was going to say, on the flip you, side of that. Well, what were you going to say? You go. You're my guest. Come on. You're in my house. Well, you still you want to, you, you wanted me to try to give you another area of strength. And if yeah. I can do that, I, I can't say offensive line a, as a whole, nor can I fully say interior offensive line as a whole because Wesley Johnson, I have some big concerns about how he's going to play at center. Even though he was a pleasant surprise, I don't know how he's going to be with a full season. But if I have to say our guard plays pretty solid. I mean, you talk about Carpenter. He's your boy, Alabama, roll tide. Yep. He's been amazing for us. He was a, considered a bust in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Came over to us. He's been really, really good. And, you know, first year he was much more of a, a, a road grader type of a run blocker. This year, I mean, he was really good in pass protection as well. And then winners, I mean, they gave him like an $8 million a year mm-hmm. contract. He's really good in, in, in the run blocking game, and he's kind of suspect as a pass blocker. But he's a quality guard. So if I had to say an area of strength, I could say guard with you know, confidence. See, so there's some bright spots there. Now on the flip side, we've already talked about two positions that we think, I mean, quarterback and wide receiver have been beaten to death by both us, the media, What's another area, like if you had to name your third outside of quarterback and wide receiver, what's your third biggest area of concern for your roster heading into the next season? Uh, Drew, you're going to love this one, man. Inside linebacker. Yes! <laughs> and, and almost as if he knew this, Chris actually has my quote on your boy Darren Lee from last year pre-draft. The guy is Keith Ellison 2.0. He can suck my ass. <laughs> that was me talking pre-draft about Darren Lee and why I didn't want him on my football team. Now, you can go ahead and explain to me why you think inside linebacker is, is subpar. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Darren Lee is I was kind of cool with the pick when we took him at 20, but I thought he was going to be playing like a, a weak side type of linebacker role, a hybrid safety type of role. But I never expected him to be playing inside linebacker where he's going to be taking on pulling guards and fullbacks coming out of him with a full head of steam. That's not the type of player that he ever showed that he was at Ohio State. So when the Jets announced he's going to be playing inside linebacker, I didn't like the decision. Eric Turner, who, uh, I mean, he's he's a savant when it comes to studying football and stuff. And if one area that he really specializes in is linebacker play. 
And even he says that's not where he's – that's not his strength. And Darren Lee, he kind of just needs to see it and go. He's not a reader. He's not – he's definitely not the sharpest tool in the shed. I don't know if you guys are familiar <laughs> with his social media habits. Oh, but he does oh God, this weird no. crap. I, I, don't fo- I don't follow any Jets players. That's, that's, uh, that's not a thing that I like to do. Well, good. I mean, that'll help you with your mental sanity. But um, if you want a good laugh, follow Darren Lee. I don't know if he's still been doing this crap, but, you know, he tweets out pretty often, but then he always deletes all his tweets. Like, if you look at his tweet history, he might have like five to ten tweets on there because he's always deleting crap. But he says the stupidest things like, you know, like when like uh, a girl was like accused of getting raped or something, uh, he would just say some really insensitive comments. You know, he said like he got jumped by a couple people and like, the police didn't even help him or something like that. He just says some really wild things. So he, does, he doesn't come off as the sharpest tool in the shed. But if we're talking about like football instincts and stuff, you go out and I, I tweeted out a bunch of video clips of him. When he has to think and he's responsible for two different gaps, mm-hmm. he hesitates so much. And it's too late for him. He's probably afraid of getting smashed. I mean, he's well, not a part big guy. He's not a big guy. He's not a linebacker who's built to stick his nose into a pile and possibly get it chopped off. He knows his own limitations, and that's why you're seeing the hesitation that you are, which is exactly why when we were running a 3-4 defense. Now, conversely, with us transitioning back to a 4-3, he might actually make sense for a defense like this to play I like a, would. a weak would. side linebacker role. But for what you guys are doing, he's completely miscast in that role. And I, I think you're right, because looking at the depth chart behind him at weak side linebacker, I mean, this is what I see. Okay, I'm looking at the defense. I'm looking at the defense. I think I'm going to ask Eric Turner after week one, hey, can you just like send out some uh, gifts of incognito in week one just <laughs> blowing over Duran Lee? Well, here's what I, I see. I'll make sure to do that for you. I see Duran Lee, Demario Davis, and behind them, uh, old-timer Bruce Carter, who's never been anything more than just a, a stopgap at linebacker. And somebody named Beltre. Never heard of this guy before. Uh, he plays third base for the Texas Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why you never heard of him before, because he's probably not going to even make the roster. And let's talk about DeMario Davis. I certainly did not like Calvin Pryor, so I was happy to see him go. But I would have liked some kind of draft compensation. Not freaking DeMario Davis back. I mean, we got rid of this guy for a reason. DeMario Davis is horrible in coverage. Just terrible. He can't cover anybody. Um, he's not even good in the run game. The only thing that DeMario Davis does decently well, I would say, is blitz. And Bowles does like to blitz. And I think that's why they – Bowles, you know, probably more than any other coach loves to blitz. You know, he blitzed – I don't know. Like on – at one point they said like he liked to blitz on like close to 50% of defensive snaps. Take that for what it's worth. Um, DeMario does that okay. So you can best believe that that was Bowles trying to get him back. But he's not a good <laughs> linebacker at all. So you're um, There's want- a reason why the Browns – signed him to a, a decent contract, and then one year decided to get rid of him because they were not impressed by what he did in Cleveland. If the Browns cut you, I'll, if, if the Browns don't want you, then the odds are you probably don't belong anywhere here in the NFL. So as we take a look at the preseason as a whole and what we're walking into for the 2017 season, obviously your, your outlook on the 2017 season isn't rosy at all because you're actively rooting for one of the worst records in football, so that you can land potentially a franchise quarterback. Now, what are you and other Jets fans for watching, though, when it comes to these four preseason games? I mean, what is it, if you could pick one thing that you are really looking forward to seeing out of this team? Is it 
the development of a certain player. Or Darius Stewart. Is it a certain uh, – are you looking at the quarterbacks and is it hoping that you see something from Hackenberg that justifies his draft stock? I mean, what, what what's a silver – what is it that you're looking for to try to find a silver lining for the preseason for you guys? Well, I think that you're always going to look at the young talent. That's that's always what the goal of the preseason is, is not really for the veterans to kind of get their bearings, but mostly to see what young guys can stick on the roster and who and which young guys can develop. Um, and this Jets team is one of the youngest rosters in the league. Now, contrast that to last year. They were extremely old. Mm-hmm. Now it's just a, it's a bunch of young guys. So you, I'm going to be watching all those guys. I'm really excited to see Adams play. You know, the one practice I went to, uh, he went out early with an ankle injury, so I really didn't get to see him too much, but... You know, it's fun to watch him play just because of all the other stuff that he does beside, you know, that happens before and after the whistle or between whistles, I should say, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with the, the communication and stuff. I mean, you're hearing the beat reporters rave about, you know, how he's on the sideline. I practice and he's calling out, you know, what the offense is going to be doing, you know, for a rookie safety. That's damn impressive. So I hope that, you know. On the TV broadcast, I can see some type of those things with him. I'll obviously be watching the quarterbacks closely. I mean, I'm known as one of the biggest Hackenberg detractors, and you can bet that there's a lot of people out there in the quote-unquote hack hive that want to stick it to me once they think that Hackenberg is showing signs of progress. So I'm going to be watching his play closely so I can dissect uh, the little things that I can pick apart that I don't think are very good. Um, Let's see. uh, I mean, I guess just how – really how the young guys play. I, I'm, I'm excited to see someone like Justin Burris. You know, he's a player that really should have played a lot more last year when you look at how bad our cornerback play was. Um, and he he kind of came on at the end of last season. Uh, he's a guy who's pretty good at jamming people at the line of scrimmage. And, mm-hmm. you know, by all accounts, he's had a pretty good preseason thus far. So I want to see what he's going to do, you know, as like a number two corner going against some of the better receivers. So you're essentially focused on the youth movement, which makes sense considering the state of your roster. I can't wait, my friend, for week one when we get you back on this show so we can preview our home opener against you guys. Now, now I, have, I have one last thing non-football to, to ask of you, Kyle, because I sent a text to your brother Gary. I haven't heard back, and I think it's because he knows it's such a great idea that he's got to run it by his uh, soon-to-be wife. I need you on the inside of this. If I have to, Drew and I will start a GoFundMe campaign for this i need you to convince gary because he's now engaged i don't know how gary gets married and kyle fahey isn't the ring bearer (laughs) (laughs) that would be great get him a little tuxedo and everything that would be fantastic Cal, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight we really appreciate it folks you can find him at afc east bros on twitter you follow his feed if you're interested in what's going on with the Jets or you just want to tweet mean things at him during week one when we stomp the hell out of these guys, it's going to be a lot of fun. Kyle, thank you so much for stopping by tonight. Thanks, gentlemen. It was fun as always. All right, folks. And you heard what the Jets fans are going to be looking for during the uh, first couple preseason games of the year. Nothing! The first of four ultimately meaningless Bills games is going to kick off tomorrow, Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And while it's a far cry from the product that we get on Sundays, who am I kidding? I'm still going to be throwing back beers and screaming at my TV because that's <laughs> that's just who I am. I'm lucky. I got my next three uh, Thursdays. I got hockey, but tomorrow's at eleven fifteen at night, so oh. I'll be able to watch the whole game. And oh. I will be watching who we just talked about a couple minutes ago, Eddie Yarborough. Buddha hockey. 
Up with preseason football, it's back, folks. You know, I, I always tell myself not to get amped up about preseason football, and yet the first game of every season, I tie one on. That's it, I'm being <laughs> I'll, I, I, I'll level with you because it's just so good to sit and watch a re, like what looks to be real football. I think it's there's we have 52 weeks in a year, and what 21, 22 are really devoted to football. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not really counting preseason. So you go that long without football, you know, you can watch CFL, but, like, when the preseason yeah. comes, uh, uh, football, football, <laughs> oh, I gotta watch see, it. When you see it, you're, you're, it's like you found a desert oasis. Like, you've been wandering through the desert and you just stumbled onto a spring. It's, it's refreshing, and unfortunately, I get in with both hands. So Friday, yeah. Friday's going to be an interesting game for me at work. But... Since you're all going to be seeing a ton of new players that you're probably not familiar with, you should go and check out the Huddle's free training camp online magazine. I helped write it. We break down every player on the 90-man roster for you, along with insight on the position battles that are taking place. There's a link in the description of tonight's show, and it's even compatible with your smartphone. Just go and check it out. And if you hate it, tell me. Tell me what you don't like about it. I'll probably be intoxicated enough where it won't hurt my feelings. But I, I like hearing this stuff. Constructive criticism is always good. That being said, here are the three things to watch for. We've already touched on two of them. First and foremost, Eddie Yarbrough. The defensive end, he's one of the stories of training camp. I, I, he's been only going against the right tackles on our team who have clearly struggled. I am interested to see how he looks going against talent from another NFL franchise. If you're McDermott, do you not even give time to, like, Shaq. Well, Shaq's and, with his groin. I don't think I don't expect him to play at all. Shaq or Jerry Hughes. No, regardless. I wouldn't. I wouldn't risk either one of them because you know what you have in them. Instead, I would throw guys like Max Velez and Eddie Yarbrough. I want to see what they have against ones going up against ones on another team because ultimately that's what you're going to be seeing every Sunday. Same thing on the opposite side of the ball, Deion Dawkins. As I said before, Jordan Mills is playing like circa 2014 Cyrus Quanjo. Back when they called him Venus de Milo. I'm interested to see if Dawkins can play well enough to get an extended look with the ones throughout this last week of training camp and maybe sneak in some more reps as the preseason goes on because ultimately I think that our hope for this season rests with someone else other than Jordan Mills winning that right tackle spot. And then finally, my third thing that I'm going to be watching for, defensive secondary play and communication. Defensive back is probably the youngest and, at a, if you give it a first glance, shallowest position on our roster heading into the season. I mean, you've got Kavon Seymour in a walking boot, and they had to bring in some guy that I didn't even recognize his name until I went through and actually read up on who he was. I want to see how far they've come, not just as individuals, but as an entire unit. Because you see, ultimately, I want to see whether they've come together to match each other's coverages which is going to be vital to the success of any zone-based scheme. When you're talking about a man-versus-man coverage scheme in football, every man is on his own for himself. It's an individual effort across the board. When you're talking about a zone defense, it takes everybody in lockstep doing your job the way it's drawn up and the way way you've communicated it pre-snap in order to get your coverages right. Which then helps your linebackers find their fits. Helps the you know it helps the defensive line because it buys them time. It just you know it gives the quarterback fewer windows. If you don't communicate well as an as a whole secondary, 
there's going to be breakdowns in coverage. There's going to be busted plays. There's going to be big holes for quarterbacks to throw into. I mean, it's vital for the success of our scheme. It'll be interesting to see how third year Ron Darby is even is he playing? Is he still injured? I no no. I think he'll be playing playing with rookie Trey White. Trey White. I think that. I ultimately believe that the success of the communication and the gelling of our defensive backs are really going to be the story of our defense for 2017. If they can come together and communicate well, we have a shot at having a decent defense. If these young cornerbacks can't find a way to get on the same page and run the same, you know, run the same concepts and understand where each other and trust where their teammates are going to be on the field, cover, you know, taking up these zones. I think it's going to be a long season for our defense as a whole. Yeah, that's and that's what I'm looking to see. I'm looking at most to try to take away from this game, folks. We're going to get out of here. We've talked your ear off for long enough. You can follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report. You can go and find more of my uh, training camp interviews, pictures, all the other content I'm going to be pumping out over the course of the next two weeks. You can follow Kyle Smith at AFC East Bros on Twitter and. If you can't download our podcast and you can't get to the website, but you still want a place to listen to it, GrandstandSportsNetwork.com. You can stream us online and find dozens of other great shows and hours of just sports content from all across the country. I mean, yeah. we have hockey and football hockey, right now. Football, baseball. We're, getting, we're expanding into other podcasts, but right now, predominantly hockey and football. If you're looking for sports content. Check it out, because I guarantee you're going to find something that piques your interest. That's www.grandstandsportsnetwork.com. And if you're in the Buffalo area, you can come out to Riverworks. I'm playing in a tournament this weekend. <laughs> Chris, nobody wants to come watch your bum-ass play roller hockey. 10.20 a.m. on Saturday, 1 p.m., 2.20. I got three games on Saturday. Come to, come down to Riverworks. Chris, we'll drink. Chris, Chris, real men play ice hockey. And on that note, you're we are a catcher! Go. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Kruger, and this has been the Rock Pile Report.